Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And today we are talking about the second part of part four, The Hall. I really thought for a second that said The Hell, <laughs> which would be kind of accurate also. <laughs> the Hell in many ways. Yeah. The Hell is this? So in chapter 20, Lockwood reveals that he smuggled flares into the mansion, and George realizes there must be hidden passages that most likely contain the source. Yay. Yeah, this is almost like a George chapter, I feel like. He really shines here. He does. And I maybe that's why I feel like in these four chapters in particular, not one nice thing is said about George. Or at no, least not one no. completely nice thing. There's always something else. Yeah. yeah. There's always some backhanded yeah. comment. that, ha- And later, there's even a backhanded hand that yeah. happens. So I don't think she backhands him. It really is left up to the... To the reader, and I prefer to think of a backhand. It, it would be funny just since that's how Fairfax murdered Annabelle. So at least he had done the same <laughs> thing to George. <laughs> that's not funny at all, but it is kind of funny. Anyways, the chapter card is a key. And since we're not um, recording the part, like, because we recorded the last chapters like a week ago, I'd completely forgotten that they had a key to the Red Room. So until the right. very end of the chapter, <laughs> where like, what's this key about? Where they use the key on the red room. I was like, but why? This makes no <laughs> sense. Uh, but then, yeah, right there at the end, it came into play. And I was like, all right, gave them a key. It kind of, it looks like a tiny key to me uh, for like a room. This looks like a, almost like a padlock key or something. Might be perspective, but you're right. The uh-huh. The sort of shaft part of it does look short. Yeah, I don't know. But that could be like old doors, you know, like. I live in America, so like we're like, oh, this house is really old. It's it's from, you know, like 1970s. <laughs> but in <laughs> England, it's like this is hundreds of years old. Okay. So like maybe keys were smaller. This is funny because the house I live in right now was built in the 70s and, I, yeah. and I'm moving next month. And so somebody was asking me about my new place as if like if it was a new place or an older place. And I was like, well, it was built in the 80s. So at least I'm I'm older than it <laughs> this time. <laughs> It's newer than the place I live in now. Yeah. Not the, that's, that's not the same way in the old world. It's no, a no. truly old thing. I have used a key like that before in an old English manner because the, it was like a skeleton key like that, that locked the cupboard under the stairs where we kept all the vacuums. Yeah. That's more what it looks like. I think is like a cupboard key or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. It was fun. I felt, felt very old timey anytime I had to go in there and, and get a vacuum. <laughs> or a Hoover, as the English would say. Hoover. Anyways, getting into things, Lockwood has a moment where he walks off and apparently at first needs to use the bathroom again, which to be fair, they drink a lot of tea. Uh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> but then, no, he turns out he was just getting the uh, flares that he hid in there. And this is the first time I've thought about this, which is funny how much because of how much it comes up in the book. But I'm like, this world is just cool with children walking around with explosives. Yeah. And it talks about Lucy, like learning to build explosives when she was a child, like that was a part of her childhood. And then after Lockwood sort of hands out the flares, Lucy even says, I took comforting possession of the cylinders. She has like, yay. Oh, I have a bomb again. Thank God. There's dynamite on my hip. Yeah. So that's a different world. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I I did want to. And it's true, too, because like he goes into he talks about like 
I went into satchels and bought these. So it wasn't like, sir, you are not 18 years old. You cannot do this. He was like, I own Lockwood and Co. And I need, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Here's a bunch of bombs. Oh, that's hilarious. Like (laughs) just 16 year olds can just go buy some bombs. Yeah. And it's like necessary for security. (laughs) It's really weird. I did want to talk about Greek fire a little bit, which is Mm -hmm. what they like equate these bombs with and gets thrown around a lot and uh it's like i feel like greek fire is almost like ascribed to like magical qualities whenever i hear greek fire it's like like mystical or mysterious and it doesn't feel like that's what the bombs are at all like they build their own bombs or they can go to the store and buy them this isn't like they they're like put all the stuff in the bomb and then like they do a ritual in a chalk circle or you know what i mean like it's not magic it's just like chemistry right Mm -hmm. but i think the part of the reason why greek fire in the real world has like so much mystery around it is because we don't really know what it was or like how to make it or anything like that and so it kind of like becomes whatever we want it to be and it it comes from like the when the roman empire kind of fell and the capital moved from rome to like Constantinople and uh, they came up with a way to um, use chemistry and warfare that was like a closely guarded uh, state secret. And it ended up being called Greek fire because the guy who invented it, who was named, uh, and excuse me, because like I'm an idiot and it's easy to read these names in your head, but not with your mouth so much. But his name was Calicinus of Heliopolis. He was uh, a Jewish Greek guy who worked for the state as a, he was a chemist. And he was like, he came up basically with like, I always think of it as like lime fire, but we don't actually know how it works. But it was, it wasn't like you had to set it on fire. It was like, if you put it in water, it would ignite. And if it sat out in the sun too long, it would spontaneously combust. So it was pretty like unstable stuff. And you had to like keep it covered and They would put it in pots and things like that and then throw the pots at their enemies. And when they break open, they would just, boom, you know, like burst into flame and stuff. And so it's pretty devastating uh, weapon. And they just kept the formula, a closely guarded secret. Uh, And this was like in the year 600 AD or so. And it lasted all the way up until like the Crusades in the 11 and 1200s. Europeans came across Satterson's, you know, in the so-called promised land and then they would throw these grenades at them and the knights would catch on fire and they're like, what is this? This is crazy magic. Um, uh, and so they called it Greek fire when they found out who the inventor was and stuff. But when Constantinople fell, the formula was lost. We don't know how to make it. And it's just has this air of mystery about it. We just don't know what Greek fire was. And so lots of people have appropriated the idea of it. It's kind of like the the Library of Alexandria has like whatever thing that you want to be in the right. Library of Alexandria. <laughs> it's like the same kind of thing. Like it's just magic fire. Who knows what it is? But this has the ability that it just seems like they call whatever their grenades are Greek fire every once in a while and it it just gets rid of ghosts. I've always thought that like they have their salt bombs and then they have their bomb bombs, you know? Right. And the <laughs> What a stupid fire thing to bombs. say, bomb bombs. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. And those are the ones that they call Greek fire to separate them from the, the salt and or silver bomb things. Yeah, because sometimes they call them magnesium flares, yeah. which like gives you a pretty good 
idea that it's like a white fire. Um, but after Lockwood is handing them out, the flares, they have a bit of a talk about how Fairfax is actually a terrible person. And Lockwood says, you know, George brings up that if they light anything on fire, you know, they're not going to get money. They'll probably just get sued by Fairfax and be right back where they started. But Lockwood finally has some sense and is like, oh, well, we'll be alive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Can't sue us if we're dead. It's a, there's a good moment, too, where like Lockwood really feels like he's turned around on Fairfax somehow, mm -hmm. uh, where he like after he's distributed all the bombs, he like has all this leftover packing and he just crumples it up and puts it inside of like one of the Ming vases. I think it was a Han <laughs> vase, like, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was good. Um, <clears throat> and then they sort of start to get to work and start take, walking around to set up a home base in the library take some temperature readings and stuff. And every time I see Fahrenheit, I get angry. Not right, not yeah. because I'm angry at Fahrenheit. You know, America can do whatever they want, really. But just I'm angry that they changed it. Yeah. Ugh. It makes it so that it's so stark, too. When I was reading it, I was like, it makes it so that I can understand it. But then it just points out to me how dumb it is to be like the freezing point of water is 32 degrees. And it's like, why? Like zero makes so much more sense. I don't. It's dumb. I don't, it's not even that that makes, that I have a problem with. It, it's just wrong. Like these are, they're in England. These are English kids. They wouldn't be using right. Fahrenheit. You know, like I don't, again, like I said, I don't care what people in America want. You know, use Imperial all you want. If it makes sense to you, that's all that matters. But these aren't people in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like you're, yeah, you're doing the dub for an anime and you'd be like, we got to call this character Bob since we're speaking in english now. well i mean it's, that's what all anime did in the 90s but yeah i know it's like wild yep so we just don't care we'll we'll change whatever we want to make ourselves comfortable that's how it is um, there's too much anime references in our podcast it's i mean if, well that's our podcast we can talk about whatever we want yep except that it is a lockwood and co podcast so right. we do have to so eventually sort of as things get darker things i mean like the sun goes down and everything there starts to be these wisps that come out. Yeah. These creepy, like, plasmy wisp thing, ghost wisps. And I just, I'm so curious about whether or not you can get ghost touched by these wisps. Or if they're I just, kept thinking that too. Yeah. If they're just creepy. Or if it's like, because the temperature is dropping so fast that it's just like condensation, you know, like, but it doesn't seem like it. No, it, it seems like they're, you know, if you were seeing them in the show, they'd be green. Right. Yeah. And they move around willfully and yeah. things like that, but they don't seem to be like actively dangerous. They walk through them and stuff. I, I like how by the book, so much of this part is, you know, like by the Fitz manual book, they're like yes. really being methodical and stuff. Uh, and it just like confirms what Lucy is also feeling at the same time. She keeps talking about like, I can feel the malaise start coming on. I can see the wisps and all of that kind of stuff so there's like this slow nice build that's happening on two parallel tracks and she says that she begins to hear a low-lying crackling sound like radio static at the far edge of perception and that i don't like that that's creepy yeah radio crackling is never good it's weird how you know like radios are like modern technology but they're they're always like been a part of ghost culture like it's always 
barely hearing voices in radio static is like such a ghost hunter thing. This makes complete sense to me, though, because the way radios work, where I feel like if you just tune in correctly, you could pick up on potentially anything. You know, that that holds a lot of storytelling in it yeah so that, that makes absolute sense to me and even like if you're just playing around with a radio and you just get the crackling sometimes it does feel like oh i just gotta get it right and then i'll get something but actually you're in completely the wrong spot so what the hell were you hearing Mm-hmm. it's just it's just creepy to hear voices come out of a box too yep it's just weird i've come across this in a couple creepy video games recently did not like <laughs> and and while they're while all these things are happening, Stroud remains Stroud, where there's like Lucy takes a minute to say, by the time we finished with the ground floor and arrived back at the staircase, we'd been exposed to a whole range of sinister mists, sounds and odors, not all of them courtesy of George. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> but it's not so, you know, heavy and dark. There's like, yeah, you take no. a minute. <laughs> this whole section he does a really good job of making it very creepy and then throwing in the meanest joke about george or something <laughs> yeah. like that just to release the tension so it's good stuff that's fun and they also start seeing like some type one ghosts and yeah. that is that confuses me about how sources work because like are they all tied to the big source or did the type ones that they find earlier on in the night, do they all have their own source that they need to find? Because we've seen some other type ones like the the ghost under the tree and he right. had his own source that they needed to deal with. Yeah. So what <sighs> I need answers. Yeah. So my head canon around that is basically like, I think they all do have sources. We don't, I don't know what they are, but I think that the source source the main source is like so powerful that it works like an amplifier or something like that Mm -hmm. and that if the if that wasn't there or when it's not there later that these sources just don't have the juice to come through on their own right and so like they won't matter they wouldn't be there all right i like that i have no evidence for that no but it just it makes sense because once they do deal with the source it does seem like the rest of the ghosts go away yeah if I had more evidence, then I would like make suppositions about like, does the problem work this way? Like from the origin, is it like worse and blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I just don't know enough. So hmm. it seems to work here that way, though. There is like uh, this whole thing with the type ones too reminds me of the Hope House at the beginning and the man falling down the stairs. Yeah. Like we're getting the same kind of like that wasn't dangerous, but it was definitely like creepy. Mm-hmm. And we're getting like the same kind of structural like repetition of that first encounter and also of Lucy's final job with Jacobs, where there's like an initial kind of harmless seeming ghost or shade that leads to like a more dangerous encounter later. Yes. So he's like repeating the structure. I think this is on purpose so that we can kind of invert it later and have like a really satisfying catharsis but this one is like amped up to a million a million yeah i guess i could have said 11 but whatever that would have been i a also joke. went for a million yeah because i think it is it's much more intense and they have this one moment when they're looking through the cellars where lockwood kind of pushes george out of the way because a ghost like peeked out through the wall mm. and i really wish they'd kept that in the show it's such a good moment Mm-hmm. and it's like it just shows you like how crazy dangerous the job is too yeah yeah i it's just such a good horror movie moment 
in like how his talent works where George's leaves him kind of vulnerable to that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then they all get back together and George goes over everything or they all gather again in the library and George. Yeah. He lays out his, uh, his, his whole findings. map. Yeah. And I think this is another, like, this is where the inversions start to happen because of course George wasn't along on yes. the hope. Yeah. House haunting. And so this really shows like if they did have George there, things would have gone way differently. Probably. It's yeah. They're here. They're the team now. Everyone yeah. is doing their role. And this is like pretty clutch to solving the whole thing, because if they don't go into the red room with the idea that they're, you know, that the architecture is weird and that yeah. the source is beyond the room, like they would have probably died. Yeah, exactly. Um, and while he's going over everything, while George is going over everything, Lockwood seems to not be paying any attention as he's looking at scrapbooks. <laughs> yeah. But then my note on that was that this is like the O Lockwood moment again where yes. he's like detecting he's mm -hmm. like doing he's like really solving it the whole macro issue while the details are being ironed out by his group but like here it's it's like a good thing that he's doing that kind of like i mean he should be paying attention but at the same time like he's really putting the pieces together yes i will say this bit feels a little handholdy to me yeah uh not much of the book does but this bit where like just the fact that we keep nailing on this point of Fairfax was an actor, blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. how Lockwood has to keep sort of investigating when, like, we get it. I don't know. It feels a little handled to me. And also that he I just like... refuses to say anything to George and Lucy. Yeah, he's keeping the details back, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I do like the idea, this is like a trope in detective fiction where, like, when you're not, when your attention is, like, away from the mystery then you like put the piece together subconsciously or something like that, which this might, I don't know that maybe this seems like the opposite, but it seems like he should be paying attention to like not dying in the red room and in the mansion and stuff. Yeah. But instead his mind is like preoccupied with the Annie Ward stuff and like, why did Fairfax put us in this situation stuff? Just after that though, we do have a good moment where Lockwood is like, look, we have the money. We can just walk away. Yeah. Good point. So, I mean, he does have this, he does have that one, well, not just, he has more than one moment, but this one big moment, I suppose, where he is a good leader and he's like, we don't have to do this. He does say, I want to do it. I think we can do it. But if you guys don't want to, we can walk away. And I like that they gave him that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's important to like character wise to exercise your like agency and to be like, we choose to do this instead of yeah being forced to do it. That's always stronger. And also, this is one of the moments where we really start to see Lucy cataloging uh, Lockwood's different smiles. <laughs> because she's like, he leans back and he has this warm, welcoming, casual, friendly smile, which is different than this smile of his. Yeah. You remember that set of files that George has on all the ghosts? That's what Lucy has about all of Lockwood's smiles. Yeah. This is a type two smile. And a type yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I, I did highlight like right in this section, I think this is a big turning point for Lucy, where it says we'd worked well together so much better than ever before. We'd been careful, rigorous, even competent. And it showed me what Lockwood and co might one day become. This wasn't mm -hmm. something I wanted to give up lightly. Yeah. And so like, I think this is really big because it's, it's not about like for Lucy, so much of this has been, does she trust herself or her instincts? But now she like learns to trust the group. 
yeah. and she trusts her role in the group and and that can make things really different for her in a way that wasn't possible i feel like yeah so to be a part of a both a team that she respects and works well with and that has a good leader yeah yeah she doesn't want to give that up and she doesn't have to be responsible like i'm sure she blames herself for everyone dying you know on some level even though she rightly blames jacobs but it's like she she doesn't have to shoulder that here alone um but then she also doesn't have to like only like go off on her own because of her unique talents they're all balanced out because of the group and she like realizes that and is able to embrace it so i think this is like a really really important moment for her mhm and then they make their way to the red room and lucy says it's like they're waiting for us to go in. Mm. And then, of course, George immediately says, who's got the mints? I just know we're <laughs> going to need the mints in there. They go through so many mints yeah. through this whole section, too. And then so right, much at, <laughs> right at the bottom of the page, just at the end of the chapter, Lockwood says, don't worry, it'll be fine. Like, why would you say that, Lockwood? Uh, and then the line right <laughs> after that, it says, and then the horror of the night began. Yeah. So, like, you're really asking for it, man. Uh so they go in the red room. Chapter 21. Chapter 21, where I go back to the document. In chapter 21, the Iron Trio enter the red room, get locked in, and find the hidden passage out. Yeah, that is all that happens in this chapter, but it is also a very long chapter with a lot of just creepiness. I think this is really, really well done. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this stuff in particular is like part of the reason why people, I don't know this at all so this is a total supposition on my part but i feel like the red room and like everything after it is like why people wanted to adapt this thing because it's just so well described and like yeah. the way it all turns out is so cool that it's just like oh man this would be great on screen it's very theatrical yeah, yeah. or and very visual uh the chapter art is the chandelier in the red room with the spider webs on it yeah Good stuff. Which is the only piece of I don't know, furniture, would you call that furniture, in the room. Otherwise, it's just a large, empty room. I wonder why. <laughs> I'm sure it's not creepy at all. <laughs> I love, I, they, get, they gave him this line in the show too, but I really love George's, not very red, is it? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen, my dude? You're in a haunted house. <laughs> it's called the red room. What, what substance is creepy and red, you know? Yeah. I guess maybe he's never seen The Shining or read it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, I wonder if that's where the, like the Red Duke thing comes from, too. If he's like related to this room at all. Well, I have no idea. Or just maybe if he has his own ghost, maybe it's covered in blood. Yeah, yeah. Because of all the heads he chopped off. I don't know. He, he really didn't come into the haunting at all. So maybe he was just made up part of the myths. Yeah, he's probably like one of the shades. Yeah. In the first room, just like sipping a cup over and over, caught in some meaningless loop. He's like, doesn't matter. <laughs> and then I love when George goes to secure the door and he's like, I have the latest tech. It's a wedge. <laughs> it's, it's a DFD. Yeah, yeah. that's good. And how I do like yeah. the, that they come prepared, though. Like when they have George here, yeah. they, they didn't forget the chains. He's got the latest technology. I mean, it's like a joke that it's the latest technology, but. It is iron technology. covered by some wood. Why wouldn't you yeah. just have it be iron? But whatever. That's what they do in the show, right? It's just pure yeah, just a block iron of brick. Iron. Yeah. It would be very heavy to just carry around a big no, lump of fair. iron. That's fair. 
But uh, yeah, they cut all the humor in this scene out of the show, which is probably the good choice. Yeah. For, for a TV show. I just happened to rewatch that episode eating breakfast like I didn't intend to today. And it's just uh, magically <laughs> turned on. Well, I just I was like, eh, what am I what am I gonna watch? I don't know. And then I was like, I'll watch Lockwood and Co. And it was on that episode. Like the, I had watched the second one before. Right. And so it just when it the red room is all of like three or four minutes. It's like very fast. So yeah, they just didn't have time. To yeah. Be I I get I get all the choices that they made in the show. And I think all the choices they made make absolute sense. Most of them anyways. But I do also wish we could have really lingered here and been really creeped out by this room. Not just had it. Because in the show, it's very action-y, I guess. Like, it's a go, go, go moment. And here it's very, a slow building. Oh, it's man, it's such a slow burn. It's so creepy, too. Yeah. It's really easy to picture. And and I feel it, too. Like, they talk about the smells and the temperature. And it's (laughs) just like, oh, this whole thing is terrible. Speaking of the smells, when as soon as Lockwood started talking about that, I was like, is smell a talent? Can you imagine showing up at Fitz <laughs> with your smell? Being like, you should give me a job. I can sniff out any ghost. Hello. I'm a smeller. <laughs> oh, God. I am. oh, God. <laughs> I need a job, sir. Yeah. I'm not cutting that I out. See it. I want you to know. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay, good. That's my terrible accent. That's my terrible Oliver twist. Yeah. It would be like, what's your talent? I'm a listener. I'm a smeller. I'm, that's not a talent. It would be like, get out of here. Go join the Night Watch kid. The twist though is that he really can sniff out any ghosts and he's the most, anyway, moving on. (laughs) This is a fan fiction now. Yeah. um, They start looking for the entrance to the secret passage. I like how they set this up with George kind of being lookout in this, in the Iron Circle and Lucy and Lockwood searching. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Lockwood can see all the death glows again. And there are dozens. Yeah. Even George can see flickers in the yeah. air. And so it's like building and building. Lucy's hearing whispering that's building and building. The death glow thing is interesting, though, because previous and like after this, whenever death glows come up, it just seems to be a thing that happens. You know, somebody dies, they leave behind a glow. But this implies that the ghosts were hiding the death glows from him. Yeah. And then once and then they were trapped, mo- they were yeah, like, they're like yeah. moving or something too. It's like, I always think of them as being stationary, but this is like moving around. It's very interesting. Different. He has to wear his glasses here, which is always like, that's always how I think of Lockwood. With his sunglasses on, even though it's dark. Yeah. Yep. It's not fair though, because like he doesn't put them on very often. Like he didn't have them on, but I think it's just the vibe that I get from Lockwood is that he would be the guy who wears sunglasses at night while doing his fake accents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's my rural accent in my Ray-Ban glasses. Yeah. Uh, so then we get this really great moment uh, where Lucy says, for some reason, the bathroom back in Portland row came to mind, the lower one where I sometimes took a shower and where George's <laughs> discarded underwear lay in wait for unwary feet. At first I thought it might be the shared sense of danger and foreboding. That made me make the connection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said this. This is like the only thing that I highlighted in the chapter. I was like, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> George cannot catch a break, but actually it's the leaky tap. <laughs> it's the tap, tap, tap sound. Yeah, yeah that's what's the association and not the underwear, it turns out. 
Yeah, there's just not a moment missed to bring George's pegs down in this chronicle. And I will say, to be fair, it's mostly all in Lucy's head. She doesn't say that many of them out loud. Right. So that's, at least in these chapters, so that's something, I I guess. (laughs) God. And then we learn that the DFD tech didn't work. Right, yeah, the door closes behind them, which is, you know, classic good storytelling, no choice, no way out but through kind of stuff. And that Lockwood left the key in the door, so now they're locked in. Yep. And so now they have to find the secret passage that George was pretty sure was here. I do feel like the leaving the key in the door thing, like he didn't know it wasn't a poltergeist. And like, that seems very irresponsible of him. Yeah, I can't, I can't understand that one at all. Like, why wouldn't you put it back in your pocket? Yeah. So then the the room is sort of slowly filling up with the plasm blood and eventually they figure out that it's going to get them in the circle too. So yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah. The iron it's, it's cool because like we've set up that the iron is so important to keep them safe. And now even that is not enough to, to do the job. And so you're just like, Oh, this is a nightmare. So they can't just like hunker down here and kind of like wait it out. They really have to solve the problem and like get out there and do something about it. They also talk about like the, the blood makes it a changer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like for the first time we're talking about something other than a poltergeist, which is like, you know, lore stuff, world building stuff. It's a little bit interesting. Yeah, yeah, they do mention, this is, I suppose, where they mentioned that a poltergeist could move things. So it could have turned the key and potentially moved the DFD, although they think that would be impossible because it's iron. Uh, But because this is blood, they're like, this is not a poltergeist. It's obviously a changer, which means someone living must have removed the wedge, the DFD. I'm so sorry. And uh, (laughs) locked the door. Yeah. And Lockwood like berates himself about it, that he's been stupid. He's underestimated everything. Yes. Like he just, he didn't understand the danger that he was bringing them into. But he luckily puts all the weight on Lucy and says, you're going to have to find the secret exit. So good luck saving us all. I really enjoy when she's like, but why me? And he's like, you're a girl. Aren't you supposed to be more sensitive? And it's it's like reductive. Oh my God. <laughs> and then a second later, he's like, besides, all me and George are good at are swinging our rapiers around. Yeah. So, so then <laughs> it's weird. It's reductive, but also kind of complimentary. I don't know. It's like gender essentialism on both sides. Like yeah. men are inept and ina- inadequate, and women are sensitive and responsible. Like, great. I told you before about like in a Kindle, it'll show you when other people have highlighted things, and that's the right. most highlighted part. Oh, of the, is like hundreds of people have highlighted. Other people are pissed. You're a girl. Aren't you supposed to be more sensitive? Like people, for some reason, take note of that. Lockwood in here with gender jokes at a I time mean, like this. I mean, to be fair, it seems pretty accurate for a 16 year old boy to say that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so eventually, they get kind of hemmed in to the corner where Lucy thinks the door to the secret passageway is, and then. It it ends up being in like the boarded over window, right? Like that ends up not being a board. That's the door that they have to rip off. Yeah. And it's, I don't even think it's a window, right? It's right. Like, it looks like a window, but it's the boarded yeah. up. Yeah. So they eventually, uh, Lockwood and George rip that off and they all tumble through. Yeah. Into a, into a corridor. Like, uh, it talks about all the, the cobwebs in there. Yeah. And like, just as the blood, the plasm blood has trapped them in that corner. So at the last moment, 
they are saved. Yeah. And then in chapter 22, they find the actual screaming staircase and the source of the haunting. And that is what our chapter art is, the screaming staircase. Yeah, which is always, I always forget that it's a, a winding staircase, which is so good for like a creepy staircase because you can never see the bottom of it. Yeah. You're always coming around the corner. It's really good. Uh, so they quickly take stock of themselves. George does mention that his jacket is ruined. So, of course, Lucy says, that's good. It's an awful jacket because <laughs> we can't take a moment to not be mean. Well, <laughs> George had said right before that. Yes. She's like, George, are you OK? And he's like, no, someone's butt is flattening my foot. So she kind of claps back. Yes. Yes. She's that's like, fair. I was that's asking fair. about your health. I do love this dynamic of them. Uh, I don't know, just being mean to each other. It's great. Yeah, my note was sibling energy yeah. right there. Lockwood then comes up with like a good theory about things. And then Lucy's just like, you, have, you really haven't got a clue, have you? And he's like, no. <laughs> he's making it up. Yeah, he truly doesn't know. Oh, about uh, why the ghost can't pass through the wall to get them. Yeah, I like I like all that stuff. Uh, George kind of like... <laughs> because he has this whole thing about well maybe there's a rule about ghosts that blah 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 they can't do this and george is like no scientific materialism like the door is covered in iron there's iron in the floor there's you know like there's reason why the ghost can't come in here that's why it's not lore reasons it's like real reasons um so they get ready to head down this hallway that they're in uh and then Lockwood says something about, you know, there being stronger visitations to come. It's like stronger than the Red Room. Maybe y'all are fucked. Yeah, it's bad stuff. And then George says, like, shame we can't use caged cat like Tom <laughs> Rotwell did. <laughs> Poor kitties. Showing the other side of materialist science. Yeah. The mm. side that created the atomic bomb and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not all. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. I like the moment where she talks about Lockwood. Um, it says like he had taken off his sunglasses and his dark eyes glittered. His jaw was set. I could see at once that he had drawn his emotions deep inside himself, made them hard and steely. There was something in his face I hadn't seen before. Mm, um, and good. it's like it reminds me of Jacobs in the in the other one and how scared he was and right, him yes. smoking the cigarette while they he watched all the children die. And like, this is the opposite. Like Lockwood has control of himself. He has control of his fear and his emotions. And that's like part of what makes him a trusted leader to Lucy. It's part of the inversion, I think. I also feel like it's uh, passages like that that gave show Lockwood his personality. Yeah, he's very cool there. Um, and then they talk a little bit about Fairfax and we get a bit of uh, Lockwood dropping the mystery that he's figured out, even though we're still not allowed to get everything, which is fair. You know, I love a good evil monologue at the end. <laughs> so I get the saving it. it. It does sort of feel like maybe he could have brought it up less then, but whatever. Yeah. But there's I, the... I mean, I mean, Stroud. Stroud could have brought it up less. Right. There's the whole like, I think this is really tough because we're writing for like a grade school kids, you know, and we don't want to assume they're stupid. And he's done like a really good job of covering his tracks, you know, with the red herring and all of their assumptions around what's going on and stuff. But he does have to like start to break that down for a young reader. And these breadcrumbs, I think, kind of help to lead you to the conclusion that like, wait a minute, 
maybe everything is not what it seems. That's fair. And I should say, uh, I don't think Fairfax actually monologues at the end. He sort of invites them to monologue to him. So Yeah, I think it's a really classic, like, Agatha Christie kind of like the detective. Get everybody in the room, sit them all down, tell them what yeah. happened and see if the murderer outs themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good. I do want to say that if it gets colder, so they all put on their warmer, like their hats and gloves and zip up their coats and stuff. And George crammed his head inside his foul green bubble hat. <laughs> yeah. Because it can't just be a green bubble hat. It has to be foul. <laughs> do you think that's like a commentary on color or smell? I'm sure it's both. It's both. Um, and then they see the Fitzkid's ghost. Yeah. It's, uh... And they they recognize it because of the like clothes and stuff. Yeah, the uniform and stuff. It's another inversion of the Jacob's haunting, where they see a child ghost who leads them deeper into danger. But this one, yes, it like it's not trying to get them. It's not trying to like. It's really interesting. I think we talked about this in the show. We did. Like, yeah, the ghost is not like malevolent. It seems to be like helpful, and it is kind of like, whoa, can ghosts do that? Like, what even is that? Yeah, and they don't seem to question it. They literally say it feels like he's trying to warn us or trying to tell us something. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, And then they, is this where they find the staircase? Well, um, either way, as they walk on, George says, don't trip on a piece of the Fitz kid, Lockwood. He's down here somewhere. <laughs> he's like, why would you bring that up, man? I I do like, I I... It, that's at the very bottom of the page in my book. So I just wrote, geez, that's gruesome. But then on the <laughs> next page, Lucy's like, why would you even say that? And he's like, I guess because I'm nervous. I'm like, you know, that's fair enough, George. Which yeah, is my note, exactly what Lucy on the, says. On the same thing, my note is it's he's getting real. Like he's being honest. Yeah. Like that's how scared George is. He's like, he's not just doing the joke. Now he's like, I'm just scared. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then they, as things get colder, they realize that they are sort of near the cellars, which is where, where the coldest bit in the house was that they explored earlier. Right. Yeah. So they knew that it was connected to this wall. Yeah. And so like, I really like that, that like the spatial stuff and it shows how good George is. Like he pretty much cracked the, the case on like wherever this wall leads to is like the key to things. Yeah. And it also, I just like how uh, clearly Stroud must have thought out the planning of the building and put it all together <laughs> and then then they find the staircase and uh lucy is like this wouldn't be the staircase isn't george is like no no don't worry that was the other one and then after a while george is like well maybe no i guess it didn't actually say so yeah it's just a legend let's go <laughs> it'll be fine i hope yeah. basically <laughs> yeah and again i think this is like a deliberate inversion of the hope haunting where like the very first thing that we get is the secondary haunting of the staircase, the guy falling down the staircase and the noise of that and how it startles Lucy Yep, and the death glow of it and everything for Lockwood. But like, that's not the actual real haunting. It's like something later. And now it's the opposite. Like the red room was like bad enough. Right. But this is the real thing. And this is terrible. Like the sound of this and everything is the thing that almost kills them. Yeah. So like all of it's like turned inside out kind of. So yeah, as they start down the stairs, Lucy touches, like takes her glove out of her hand or takes her glove out of her hand. Jeez. Takes her hand out of her glove. That would be really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, yeah. 
um ed touches the like touches the staircase and gets kind of drawn into some creepy sounds and i really was drawn into this bit when she's like she could hear the chain mail and the trampling boots and i don't i i that bit's really i like it and she's and then eventually she pulls her hand back puts her glove back on and like um guys we gotta we gotta get out of here but then mm-hmm. this is where lockwood seems to figure it out i don't I yeah, don't know what he happened the, here that he's like, oh, I've been an idiot. <laughs> it's like it's like his mind is running as far away from this situation as possible. Like he's just disassociating really hard here. Yeah, but to I maybe... don't I hate this bit. Not hate. Hate's a strong word. But I feel like he figured out like what was he figuring out before then? Like I get right. I thought he was he was like, oh, Fairfax must be the murderer before but we don't have enough evidence. So if we go, we can probably find some more evidence and put it all together. But he has this moment here where he's like, oh, wait, I figured it out. And I'm like, so what did you figure out here? I don't, it, I don't know. It just seems, just seems weird. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And that's why I said too, like in the earlier part of part four, there's like so much setup with Lockwood that it really seems like he's got yeah. the case under control. But then we have this moment here where he's putting the parts together and i love i always love that in detective fiction where they put the parts together but it it just kind of doesn't make sense for all of his actions earlier yeah like he was going on a hunch i guess setting up all the rest of this but like this feels like the aha moment fairfax must have killed uh annabelle ward but right it like there's no way he wouldn't have at least thought that before yeah with, with the way that he's been acting and what he's been doing with the like were you holding the picture like this or this You're yeah like, exactly what are you asking that for it's very weird so i i just don't know what happened in this moment and i would somebody should please ask jonathan stroud what the aha moment here was anyways as george and lockwood are, ha- are having a bit of an argument about this because lockwood is like i'll tell you all later and george is like no tell us now which i am fully behind thank you george <laughs> but at the um same time, Lucy's like, no, 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 this is a problem. The screaming is starting. We got to go. We got to go. Get off the stair. Yeah. And George is like, well, maybe it's only you and your talent. Yeah. And then he like stops in the middle of saying that because even he starts to hear it. And then all of them start to like trying to cover their ears and running, but they can't, you know, keep it from going inside of them. Yeah. It it's very worse and worse. Interesting. I cannot believe they cut this out of the show. I know I talked a lot about it when we were doing the show, but it's the screaming staircase. And also this bit is so creepy. Yeah, I kept thinking that when I was reading it this time about you you talking about that. Yeah. And it would it's such a like easy classic special effect to run audio over visual of you know some people yeah. screaming. Like there's no cost to it. It's um, so well, weird. No extra. No special. Yeah, it's just them acting. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I hate it. But that's it. Just them covering their ears. Really weird. So they sort of run slash fall down the stairs and then they all kind of end up sprawled at the bottom. And and even then the screaming doesn't stop. It's really scary. I like I think this part is genuinely scary. When I was reading it, like my heart was pounding. Yeah. She's talking about red hot irons boring into her head. I was like, oh, it's terrible. It's good then, writing. Yeah. And then they, when they do sort of get down, get all the way down there, um, they find the body of the Fitz boy and Lockwood starts shouting to find, oh, and also a well and Lockwood starts shouting to find the source. And I, I like that they come back on this because like, obviously the source is in the well. 
Right. But yeah. they sort of come back to it later and be like, oh, yeah, why didn't we just think that? It must have been, the ghost must have been messing with us with the screaming and everything. Yeah. And it's just like, again, in the hope haunting, when we find out about malaise for the first time and that kind of internal struggle against the ghost, this ghost is so much more powerful that they don't even realize that they've already been kind of co-opted and compromised. And so that like yeah. they're not able to see the solution, even yeah. though it's right in front of them. And like I really like that though, because it it like relies it's like a little bit ironic. It, yeah. It's like, oh, you know the rules, reader, of like what's going on. And so you can understand why all this is happening. It's it's pretty cool. And then there's a bit where like a long fingered and bony hand reaches out for mm. George. Ugh. No, thank you. <laughs> Terrible. Don't like that. And then Lucy just sort of describes the desperation and panic that overtakes them. And then suddenly in her head, we see her just sort of lose all hope. And we don't really yeah. know, like, obviously it's the ghost, but it the, the book just says it as if this is the only way. Yeah, she's like, there is a way to make the screaming stop. Yeah. Of, of course. Yeah. All I have to do is throw myself down this well. And she starts talking about silence kind of as a desirable thing. And I like that since she's a listener and silence must hold great oh, appeal for her. Yeah. And it goes back to when she stepped into the house and like she sensed the silence that was like really deep yeah. and reaching for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then as she's sort of walking towards the well, she feels uh, Annabelle Ward in the necklace and that makes her pause for a moment. And like ultimately Lockwood saves her from jumping in the well, but we don't, he probably wouldn't have gotten there in time if she hadn't paused. So I like that Annabelle Ward saves her also. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a great observation. Yeah. It's also nice to have an employer who doesn't just stand in the background smoking. Yeah. Who doesn't leave you to your you death. yourself into a well. Yeah. Lockwood's um, there for her. But yeah, he grabs her. She's about to jump and saves her life. And then this is where he's like, Give me everything you guys have. We're throwing it in the well. Yeah, he like becomes, he snaps out of it, right? He like controls his fear and uh, and does the thing. And then as he's about to, th or maybe just after he, I don't know, just as he's throwing the large industrial grade explosion into the well, uh, he says, run, Lucy, get to the stairs. And she says, but I couldn't move. I still felt the deathly pull toward the well. And I love this little exchange between the two of them because it is very much echoed in book five, but there's a different reason that Lucy can't run away. Ah. And I like that a lot. That's cool. Yeah. If you can't tell, I love when the text like repeats itself. Like I always think that's super strong. Mm -hmm. So I really, really like that. Yeah. It has a strong, like Stroud's so good at like his stingers, his end of chapter stingers and like yeah. they throw the bomb and then like there's just a burst of light and you're like what happens what happens like you need to turn the page and keep going and then we're in chapter you, 23 you go to chapter 23 in chapter 23 lockwood leads george and lucy to dig their way out while explaining all the clues about fairfax and the chapter art is the wall that they have to dig through plus a crowbar right lucky crowbar was there i think they brought it it's one of their one of yeah their lucy has it on her belt yeah which is wild that she was running around with that that must have been like when they fell down the stairs and all these things like ow and during the <laughs> right. explosion like you just got a crowbar <laughs> god that would hurt um anyways so lucy has this moment where she's in like a 
dream fake place i don't know what's happening here where she sees all of her sisters in lockwood and annabelle ward but not george (laughs) it's heaven (laughs) george isn't there (laughs) i don't i i don't think that's what's happening there but it's very interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't know what that no i have no idea what happened (laughs) i don't think it means anything no i really don't either but it's it was just funny Anyway, yeah. she sort of quickly wakes up from that. There's a lot of grogginess. It takes a it takes a long time to talk about like the aftermath of everything. Yeah. And like waking up and stuff. In in the show, like there's an explosion and then there's like some smokiness and then Lucy sits up. It it takes her like two pages to sit up in the book. Yeah. And then she looks around, she's like, Well, there's three unmoving bodies, but one of them was the poor Fitz couldn't. The, geez, the Fitz boy. And he'd had a lot of practice at not moving. Right. <laughs> I wasn't worried about the mummy. Yeah. Uh, I do love that George actually speaks. He says some words and then she slaps him. So <laughs> dude is conscious. <laughs> well, to a degree. But she's just like, George, wake up. <laughs> I love it so much. He's like, immediately he has jokes. He's like, well, that cheek was the one part of me that wasn't sore. Yeah. So thanks. But at least then she gives him his glasses. So that's nice. Yeah. And then she just goes to find Lockwood and says hi. Um, And then Lockwood has this moment where he's like, oh, I thought you were dot, dot, dot. It doesn't matter. Which, of course, I've talked about how I don't like that, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is clear foreshadowing. I yeah. like that Stroud is like comfortable to bring in, like we're closing a lot of mysteries in this part and for him to bring in new stuff to wonder yeah. about and be like, what does this mean? But uh, yeah, I get your complaint. Nobody else seems to care. So it's just me. It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you, but I understand. And then George has the, this thing where he's like, I saw that. And Lucy's like, what? Nothing happened. <laughs> He's like, it precisely. Where was his slap? Where was his yes. firm shaking? There's double <laughs> standards at work here. And I just, I feel like this is where George realizes all the shit he's going to have to witness between the two of them. Yeah. You know, he's like, ah, I see. And he's, then they and have he's a like, picnic. It's going to escalate. And she's yeah. like, next time you're going to kick me just to cover up your favoritism, your crush, like... Just yeah, just go do your thing. Leave me out of it. But then, yeah, then they uh, have a picnic. I really like this. Um, this is like life affirming. And yeah, like, it sort of brings them back to the physical world. Yeah. And replenish and like they just really went through something and they need the energy. And I think this is really good. Like, I understand why they didn't do it in the show again because of time and stuff. But and keeping the momentum going, it makes sense. The mood, but yeah. yeah, but it's good. Yeah, it, it works really well in a book. It wouldn't work in a TV show, or at least not in the condensed timeline of the TV show. Yeah. Um. So yeah, then they decide to dig themselves out since the red room is still locked, so they can't get out that way. Um. It really bothered me in the show when they implied that they can't go back through the red room because they'll die because they just blew up the source so that right. there's no ghost. But it's locked, so they can't. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's no way out but through again. I also like that the source in this case was the bones, and that's what they assumed with Annie Ward. Right, But they were wrong. 
So it's like another inversion again. Uh, and then the, the whole thing of like they dig out from below and like Lucy, when she was trapped at the mill, had to come out from above. So like there's just all these inversions yep. of all the past trauma that Lucy's gone through. So that, you know, like this whole, even though this is traumatic too, uh, it's like a different kind of trauma where you like beat it. And so it just kind of like unravels a lot of the suffering, psychic suffering she has, I think. There's a bit here where they're talking about everything, where George um, calls the visitor an A-grade visitor. And I'm like, is that, do we have a different type of classification system here? Yeah, is this a Georgism? Uh, I want to know. I think it's a Georgism. I suppose that makes sense. Um, so yeah, they keep talking about the fishy things that Fairfax has been doing to them, and then they break through, and then they rest for a minute, and then they... Although, like, were I Lockwood, and I knew that, you know, Barnes was on his way, why wouldn't they just sit down there until sunrise? It would have been smart in, like, when you know everything yeah. that's coming. It would have been the good play. I guess it doesn't make sense for a story. You know, you need to have your climactic moment with the bad guy. Yeah. But uh, in real life, I think they would have just sat down there and waited. Because then... It could be. Then they wouldn't have gotten too. shot. Lockwood would be like, but I figured it out. Like, I, I need to present my case to him. Like, <laughs> I need to see his face you know, I when would, I accuse him. I would absolutely believe that of, like, chapter six, Lockwood. But I feel like the whole point of this is that he's come around a bend on that sort of thing. No, that's a good point. I have actually I have highlighted here. He says it it's been an unforgivable lapse uh, in a leader and I'm sorry for it. Yeah. Um, all that ends now. So like he really has turned a corner and he's like doing it intentionally. But my note was like, oh, it's dad Lockwood. Um, <laughs> like he's like stopping all of his childhood hoodness to like take care of business here yeah taking responsibility yeah you're right i think he just wants to get them out of this place to like yeah that's fair. safety it wouldn't be fun sitting down there with the blown up bones and the fitz boy and everything yeah i also like that it's not instantly like oh we shoved aside a few bricks and we're out like they really do need to take time to like move these heavy blocks and rest and then move the heavy blocks again yeah like it it's more realistic. And of course, there is a point where Lockwood is like, well, if we move this last big one here, even George should be able to get through. <laughs> even Winnie the Pooh can fit through the hole. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and I guess to be fair against my earlier point, Lockwood doesn't think that Fairfax would come back into the house. Like they don't know that he has armor, you know, that. Mm -hmm. And as far as they know, Fairfax doesn't think they've blown up the source. Right. So and I guess he's that's an, fair. He's an ancient old man who's feeble. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's how they see him. So eventually they get through and they start trying to make their way to the exit. But then, of course, they are met by Fairfax and his, who we find out his, is his chauffeur with a gun. Oh, and they're both wearing weird outfits. Right. Yeah. They have some weird hats and stuff. And there's, um, <laughs> yeah. There's all, there's all the weird, I love, again, this is like Stroud putting out some more mysteries for us to be like, oh, we've, we've gone through all of these things that as we've been reading through them, were kind of like red flags. Like, why don't they notice this? Why don't they, isn't this weird? And Lockwood is like, 
wasn't that weird? Wasn't that a red flag? Shouldn't we have noticed? And so like we're all the mysteries are collapsing. And so Stroud is like, here's some new mysteries. Like, what is this hat? What is this outfit they're wearing? What's how is that? Like, why doesn't every kid in London have this? Yeah. Or at least the adults or, you know, because imagine if Jacobs had that from the beginning, maybe he wouldn't have become who he became. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Something I meant to bring up. I don't even know how I missed my note about it, but just because I feel like it was another inspiration for the show. I think when they're on the staircase and just as they're making their way down, uh, Lockwood grabs Lucy by the hand to lead her down. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. never would have done that if it was George, you know? (laughs) So that just seems very uh, like an inspiration the show took. Is that flirting? I don't, I don't know how that works. So I'm not exactly the expert either, but it like, he wouldn't have done that for George. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I shamefully confessed to you that like, I didn't know that two characters had sex in the wheel of time. Yeah. In book four until book 10. <laughs> so like, I really don't know when these things happen. I'm like, well, maybe he's just helping her keep her balance. I don't, I don't know. Right. But like, were it George or somebody else, he probably would have grabbed their shoulder or something. That's true. Yeah. So chapter 24, in which Lockwood proves that Fairfax is Annabelle Ward's murderer and he gets justice and Deeprak breaks down the door. And yeah, we're the- wrapping it up. Chapter art is the the helmet and the goggles that uh, Fairfax and his servant man are wearing. It says they look like frogs. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, the demonic frog. I love yeah. that description. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to picture. And this looks like some, you know, like a uh, German infantryman hat kind of looking thing to me. It It is a weird design in the picture. Yeah. Steampunk goggles. It's cool. Yeah, I like these goggles a little better than what they did in the show. Yeah, having rewatched that, it, yeah, they they played that all so weird. He might as well not have had them. Um, but yeah, then they, they all sit down in the library again. And I hate how, where is it? Fairfax refers to it as his frontier or something like that. Uh-huh. Because it's like on the edge of the safe part of the house and also on the edge of the dangerous part of the house. And I'm just like... This is all manufactured by you, you fucking asshole. I know, right? <laughs> this is he not can easily just... make the whole house safe. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, I hate him so much. <laughs> and he's like, it's like the classic, like, rich guy adventurer yes. bullshit. Yes. <laughs> like, it's as safe as you want to make it. Like, when you, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm so daring and stuff because you climb into a ad hoc submarine controlled by an xbox controller like that's a choice that you fucking made like yep. it's not yeah a lot of this this is maybe a deep cut but a lot of this reminds me of this conversation in season three of buffy the vampire slayer when wesley first shows up and he says something about having killed a vampire one time in controlled circumstances and giles says won't find any of those here meaning the controlled circumstances right yeah <laughs> yeah the vampire was safely tied up in a room and yeah yeah, exactly like when is that ever gonna happen dude yeah and we even find out i mean not to spoil the chapter but like all this shit that he's wearing doesn't keep him safe anyway so like yep he's wrong about all of this anyways so yeah then lockwood has his moment yeah i mean this is 
Agatha Christie stuff. I yeah. mean, like, I think <laughs> what was my my note was something like Sherlock Poirot Lockwood. Like, <laughs> like you can't you can't ever tell Lockwood that though. No, no, you cannot compare him to Sher, uh, Sherlock and <laughs> Poirot. I, oh, there is that great moment that I like when Fairfax says, "You know, if any of the boys do anything, shoot the girl." And just as I was thinking, ugh, then Lucy's like, ugh, as though I'm the weakest link. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that characteristic of Fairfax's personality. Yeah. Especially because he murdered Annie. Like, that all feels of a piece to me, that his misogyny is like a part of his villainy. Absolutely. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do have a moment where they, where I think it's George who says that their you know, their outfit that they're wearing looks like a dress. And he says it as an insult. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. We could have done without that, George. But okay. It's not great. But because of the misogyny that Fairfax feels, I'm sure it cut him a little bit deeper than any other insult would have, too. Yeah. It's not a dress. This is this is an alloy of aluminium. This is... <laughs> <laughs> like, he gets very defensive about it. Um, And then we just carry on with, you know... He he and Anna, uh, Fairfax and Annabelle were in a tumultuous relationship, and then they broke up, and then they got back together, and then that other guy Blake was involved, and then he dropped her off and couldn't stand that. I really so like he slapped her. He's like, I broke into her house. Yep. And then I I hid inside the house, and could you believe it? Someone else dropped her off. Like the gall that she had to do that. It's like okay, you have like. All of your boundaries are fucked up, dude. You're, yep. Am I the asshole? I broke into her house. Like, look at how romantic I was being. He's like a real piece of shit. Oh, and we find out the inscription was Shakespeare, which we know from the show. I, I assume anybody listening to our podcast has watched the show. We don't need to read the quote. No, but I, I do like that Lockwood is like very derisive about the whole thing he's like it doesn't even matter what the quote is oh, because yeah, it's yeah. some kind of self-justifying pompous bullshit and the guy is like wait 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 here's the quote it's actually it's really good i have it written down here it is <clears throat> and then you know like he does the whole thing and it's like man you and, are just garbage yes. dude and then he explains it to them as though they can't yeah, understand shakespeare so yeah that's good <laughs> And then he has this whole like paragraph where he's just talking derisively about listening as a talent. And mm -hmm. that's hilarious to me because he's doing, he's part of this whole big research thing. He has these goggles on to like give himself a fake talent. I don't think we're spoiling anything there. You know, like obviously mm -hmm. that's what the goggles do. What else would they do? And, but then he's just putting down Lucy. It just feels like maybe that's the one he's the most jealous of, you know, because he's putting it down oh, so good much. Point. Yeah. And yeah. it's one that he can't manufacture. Yeah. 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 I like that. It's the one that's furthest out of reach. So you have to be like, well, that's the one that counts the least. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the one that like that helped them solve the murder. Right. Yeah. And it's the it's the same thing with Annabelle that, you know, her, you know, all of her choices were the thing that were outside of his control. And that's what was intolerable about her was that she could choose to not love him. Yeah. and. He couldn't stand that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's garbage. Um, so bad. Yeah. And then he talks about how he hid the body and how difficult it was on him. And then and then um Yeah, that was really hard. 
oh my Lockwood God. does drop that he, you know, he knew that something was going to happen. So Barnes and Deeprak are on their way, actually. They'll be here by sunrise. Yeah, which is not a bluff. Uh, and it, it like pays off again. We were setting up things in the first half of part four, and this is like yeah. another payoff. I do like in that part, Fairfax um, literally says to him, he says, put yourself in my shoes, Mr. Lockwood, before he's like, I bricked up a woman. Like, what choice did I have? But right, yeah. I do like, <laughs> I like that appeal because that, again, like it goes back to the whole theme in the book of like putting yourself into like empathy, like putting yourself into someone else's shoes and that he is trying to use empathy to like thwart justice. In this case, he's being like, but you don't understand. Like, think about it from my perspective. And it's like his inability to think about anything from anyone else's perspective is the whole reason that he is like this, you know? And that's like what's wrong with the whole system is yep. the inability to think from anybody else's perspective but your own. I also enjoy that he says that to Lockwood because he sees like he sees something in Lockwood that he might be able to appeal to. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I just really like that moment. It's like, and it makes him so much more vile too. It's yeah. like. So then obviously he demands to know where the locket is. And eventually Lucy, uh, under the threat of being shot, is like, I've got it right here. I'll give it to you. And I love when she sort of stands up to pass it to, to get it out or whatever. And he sees, and or she sees a gleeful smile on those old wide lips. It was the self-love of the murderer and easily the most repulsive thing of all. I wondered how many others had fallen foul of him over the years and how he had disposed of them. Yeah. That this, and yeah. Cause of course he's killed other people. Yeah. You know, of he, course has. he has. Yeah. Cause that's what he was doing to them. Like the house yep. is a murder weapon, you know? Yep. And he was here. He was like, Oh, the house didn't do it. Well, I showed up with my shotgun, you know? Yeah. I do. Lo I love the moment of like when when Annabelle comes out. I think this is actually way cooler than it is in the show. Yeah. So I highlighted this. It says, I heard a great collective thump as all the books in the room slammed against the back wall of the shelves. Percy Grebe, who had been doing something with his gun, was blown back off his feet. He hit a bookshelf hard and collapsed on the floor. Lockwood's chair spun into George's. Both were pressed back in their seats by the wave of force erupting from my hand. All the light bulbs in the library blew. Yep. It's like, boom. It's like pure wrath. Just instant karma just erupts from this thing. And it's almost like like, like she's protecting Lucy. Like Lucy's in the eye of the storm because she's yeah. not blown back or anything she's like that. She's not blown back. Yeah. I like and, that. And... And they have this moment just before Annabelle Ward goes to kill the dude where she makes eye contact with Lucy. I love that. Mm -hmm. And then, and Lucy's just like, here you go. Get her sister. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, she basically goes and hugs Fairfax, which it's not a thing you want from a ghost. Yeah. And his stuff doesn't protect him. It, uh, you know, it, like it talks about the ectoplasm kind of sizzling and stuff, but she just finds her way around it. Yeah. And kills him. Three chairs, man. Um, and then the locket just sort of falls to the ground, broken, and is no longer a source. And I love that. That's an interesting implication. Yeah. So the first time I read this, that blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and they didn't do that in the show. And I was like, oh, is this like lore that's contradicted later in the series? So they're like, quote unquote, fixing something? Because 
that felt so big to me. Yeah. And it I, felt like the book was leading up to it in a way, you know? Yes. I don't think it is contradicted later. If anything, yeah. I think it's supported later. Yeah. That some ghosts, once they've done what they want to do or their needs have been met, they can just go peacefully. Right. I mean, I wouldn't actually call this one peaceful, but you know what I'm saying. It's not peaceful. Yeah. But like now there's no more. She's not going to kill anybody else. It feels like in the show, she would. If you let her out again, she would probably kill someone. Or at least Lockwood thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it that felt huge to me. And I was like, again, there's all of these little mystery crumbs happening at the end of the book that I think is such a great way to build a series and like just continue to building your world instead it's so much confidence it's so smart and it's like trusts the reader too in a way that's really really cool yeah yeah i've i've talked before about how i enjoy when any storytelling treats its watchers or readers or whatever consumers um intelligently you know just believes them to be able to connect the dots yeah oh and then um i don't know percy tries to run out the front door but the cavalry is there get caught by Deprac, who's finally useful. Yeah, can you imagine if Book Barnes was the cavalry? Like, mm, I don't know. That inspires <laughs> me with uh, confidence. Yeah, they're almost there by accident in the show. We talked about that. I like how Lockwood, it feels, it very much feels like an Agatha Christie thing. I don't think that, like, I've only read the first three books. It never feels quite like this again, where he's just utterly orchestrated yeah, no. Everything. It's very satisfying. No, it, it is never quite like this again. After yeah. I would say after book two, all the um all the major cases that they do are very related to the overarching plot. And it's just messier and more personal and stuff, which is good. Yeah. Like it's just like I think this familiar kind of uh structure and like how we've been using kind of detective tropes throughout and stuff like that it really helps like build this first book and give it like this really solid climactic punch and it's on its own terms too like it used all the rules that it taught you all the way through to like build the case in a way that's like very convincing and to have annabelle you know serve her own justice and stuff feels very noir to me yes um yes it's it all just really really works on like many levels it's so strong it's very so like, satisfying. Yeah, it's good. So, best joke? Best joke. I mean, which George joke mine, is the best joke? Mine is the make sure you don't step on the Fitz kid. Because it's such a <laughs> tense moment. And then George is just like, I gotta break the tension. I just gotta. <laughs> you know? Like, it's so good. I think I genuinely laughed out loud while reading that this time. It's a good, like, uh, tension switch. Yeah. Like, that always makes you laugh harder if you feel scared yeah. or upset. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I always hesitate to be like, well, if it's the best, I should really I mean, just justify best, it. Just best in this but moment. I, it doesn't have to be the best I know. best. I agree. I'm neurotic and it's bad. Uh, I I think for me, it's like the good tone joke that happens around <laughs> just like we're building again. We build up so much tension in the red room before anything even really kicks off mm -hmm. and then there's the whole thing about george's underwear oh yeah on that the one's floor good too. in the bathroom and it leading to the tap 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 <laughs> and it, it which is like a genuinely scary thing of the tap 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 sound 
but it's just like i don't know masterful silliness yeah it's really good yeah i don't think there's a bad joke in here like it's used really well yeah the humor in this section in particular is top notch and placed in all the right places yeah i think most punk rock I I don't even remember, but it must be. We must have said it was this in the in the show also because it has to be Lucy unleashing a ghost. Oh, it's so cool right. too. Like the yeah. thing that I read, it's like it yeah. feels like punk rock for Annabelle. Like yes. she knows, like it's my moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. I there's no other choice really. All right, I think I think we're done. Did you have anything else to cover? No, that's. I think that's it for this time. We're gonna be. Next time, we're going to be talking about the final section, but we're also going to be just like wrapping up the whole book and our thoughts on what the whole book will be. Yeah. Also, um, I know we've all, always like given out our email and our uh, Twitter and stuff, but we're recording these in advance. So if you did send us anything, we wouldn't be able to respond. But if you do have any questions, like send them in. We, we can do a separate in the middle episode. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mailbag thing. Mailbag type of thing. I don't think anybody has said anything recently. Although most people, like, they tweet us and then we just have a conversation about it. And then it's like, oh, I know. now we don't we, need we to address that. it. No need to make content of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but if you do want to, you can uh, follow and tweet at the show on Twitter, obviously, at Lockwood Podcast. And if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. You can send your emails to contact at hologrammedia.com. You can go to the website, just scroll down to the bottom, uh, which is the contact page at hologrammedia.com slash contact. And I keep wanting to say to remember that ClusterCon is coming up this weekend, but this won't be out before then. So nope, that's already happened. Time travel. I didn't come up with anything, but I did just bump my face on my microphone. And remember, Mojo, don't lick my face into the mic. That's gross. Um, and remember to always uh, use your rural accent while fake selling your friend's comic collection. <laughs> Which we did, didn't even bring it. <laughs> no, but it's funny. 